One is an American classic turned AFI staple. The other is scary as hell. Wizard of Oz, they remade it. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. Back at- Today, we're talking about the wonderful wizard. Woo, on this, you know, incredibly freezing day. It's middle of February, and we are both trapped inside with varying levels of blizzard outside. It is freezing outside, and in some places, I think where you are, it's snowing. Yep, it is here. and It's it, crazy. It was like, you know, it was just kind of a light silent hill style mist earlier and now it's just snow oh that's spooky yeah it was weird going in this morning because i was just like driving in i was like oh you know it's or i was waking up i was like i'm gonna crack at it with the day just go in nice bright and early and then i walk outside i'm like oh no this is a bad sign now is it enough snow to wake you up from poppy poisoning (laughs) maybe if i open the window Ah, let all that cold air in hit the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> the- all right. So so we've established that it's cold. Yeah. And what do you do when it's cold? You sit inside and you watch things because you have nothing better to do. Or I guess you play games, but this is not the place for that. Yeah, no. So uh, what what have you been watching throughout the winter? Uh, just a couple small things between me just hanging out on me on and, and then going up to the girlfriend and such. Uh, rewatched... Lilo and Stitch, uh, Coraline, and Great. the most recent one I am losing now, Atlantis. Atlantis: Lost Empire. Just the wow, lots of animated stuff. Uh huh. I've been I've been on an animation kick, uh, especially lately, and just like I guess Disney stuff in general, which you know is good for you know what we're doing. Um, but it's just yeah, it's it's mostly just like stuff on Netflix. And I'm like, you know what? I unironically used to love these movies so i'm gonna i'm gonna watch them you know what Ant- atlantis is in that weird category of disney films that came out around the same time it was uh like atlantis treasure planet and brother bear oh yeah that, the kind of experimental era yeah it gets no recognition i by recently i mean within the past two years i did a disney thing uh, I didn't complete it because I kept jumping around. I should go back and do it straight through. Mm-hmm. But I was I rewatched those three movies uh, and Home on the Range, I guess. Oh, and yeah, I think Atlantis is the only one of those four that's any good. Really? Treasure Planet looks interesting, but I think it's really boring. I think Brother Bear is boring, and I think Home on the Range is ridiculous. Yeah. So. I think I really only love... Yeah, that is something I, I realized now. I really only love Treasure Planet because of the visuals and everything. Oh yeah, it look it looks great, but it, yeah. outside of that, it I think it's too dull. Yeah, not a lot happens. I mean, it's based off Treasure Island, and even that's and that that book itself is kind of dull. Right, but I mean, Muppet Treasure Island withstands the test of time. Well, yeah, half of that is due to Tim Curry, but I, I'd say like that's a good movie. I'd say a solid at least sixty percent of that is Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim Curry heightens anything. Yeah. Imagine if they had Tim Curry and Treasure Planet. The animated tra- uh, well, duh, that's the only one. Well, yeah. Uh that'd be good. If they had he was still doing silver. voice acting then. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. He played he played Long John Silver in Treasure Island, right? Yeah. Okay. 
That would that would have been awesome. They would have had to redesign the character though. Yeah, probably. Oh well. <laughs> uh, so just those three then? Uh, that I can think of. Otherwise, it's just been like you know a couple of TV show episodes and then just replaying a couple of games. All right. Cool. Cool. So uh, the Oscars are coming up soon. Oh In yeah. Fact, so you're, uh, I'm guessing you're catching up on those. The 24th of February, uh, which is going to be like a week and a half when this comes out. I am very far behind, and that is my own fault. Again, not a podcast to talk about games, but Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, and I didn't watch anything for about a week. <laughs> that, all I did was play that game until I completed it. God damn. So, like, complete, complete? Oh, you know how I complete. You are uh, an insane man. So, I mean, th- that's done now, so hopefully I can get caught up, but I'm very far behind okay. so uh first off i uh i don't think i talked about it last time uh first man did i mention this i don't think you did no okay i couldn't remember if i did because it was very close to our last episode record time but first man is you know the movie about uh armstrong of course uh, going armstrong. to the moon whatever <laughs> the, them folk going to the moon and whatnot yeah, uh, it's it's up for an Oscar for visual effects, and I could not tell you why. I don't know why it is. Really? It doesn't look very it doesn't look very visually stunning. It has like rockets taking off, and it has lights and that view of the Earth. But I can think of hundreds upon hundreds of movies that have done that before. Uh, yeah, I think I think it just it's just like the state of Hollywood that any time that you make a space movie, you're just you you pretty much get it a, a nomination as a gimme. I guess so. Like, that scene, the visual effects category seems very, uh, it, it seems more, uh, poppy. Avengers Infinity War and Ready Player One are both up for Oscars, but only for the visual effects. Hmm. You know, it's it seems like it's its own separate award show for that one category. I did actually see a headline floating around, I don't know whether it's confirmed or not, but that they might, this year, for to, to save on time since they've had so many issues, they'll be giving the less popular Oscars during the commercial breaks. That's actually hilarious. I think that's maybe um. what's going on with this one. So it's like, all right, visual effects and everything. I can imagine that's just going to be in like in a little commercial break. I don't think anyone's going to care. I mean, if they do, if they do it, they do it. But man, that's that kind of, it's kind of low. Oh, well, yeah, I think so. I don't know what to say about that. I'm sure they'll do a um. thing where like, you know, the, Award giving and accepting speech will be like an extra thing online or something. Oh yeah, I'll I'll actually get to that in a bit. Ah. Award show being online now. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so secondly, I watched uh, Bandersnatch on Netflix. Oh yeah. The Black M- Mirror bit. Yeah, I watched that uh, I mean, a few weeks ago. I think. That was cool. Uh, that was cool. I liked it, and I like that. That's a, a form of like media that we can do now. Mm-hmm. I don't see why people are blowing it up to such an incredible degree, like the choose your own adventure aspect. Cause I mean, in such, in such a uh, big form, I guess like Netflix streaming platform and there's like no loading time, but that type of media has been around for a while. I can think back to well, right. not critically acclaimed, but quite a few like YouTube series that did that. All right. So I think it's more just people just like, clamoring over it as the fact that it's a black mirror episode and it's like you know it's like the the in like the deeper meaning behind it it's like you know are you truly choosing your own adventure or is there no real choice in life it's like you know that sort of thing that's some of the cool stuff that they did with it they did invert that 
to some degree. It's not really spoiling anything because there's so many different endings you can get. Right. But there is a bit where I remember picking a choice, but he was starting to realize he wasn't in control, so he fought against it and deliberately did not do what I told him to do. Mm-hmm. So there is some of that. That's cool. Uh, which is nice. It made me interested in the rest of the Black Mirror series in general. I need to go back and watch some of those. Oh, yeah, definitely. I need to finish it, but I remember liking what I saw. Yeah. For some reason, I had, uh, I was under the impression it was like a show about, I think it was, it was like a more serial, like actual dr- serialized drama and not like individual Twilight Zone style things. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was like one okay. continuous, like weird s- sort of future. And I was like, yeah, that sounds boring. <laughs> well, it does sound boring. I wouldn't watch it. Yeah. And then I saw all the episode premises. I was like, okay, this would be a very confusing universe if they were all in one. Okay. Next, yes. I saw Medea Family Funeral. Uh, Is that up for I, an Oscar? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, uh, I saw I saw the Medea Family Funeral poster because it's not out yet. Oh, uh, on my way into the movie theater to see Into the Spider Verse. Finally. Oh yay! How'd you like it? I loved it. I yes, I knew you would. Into the Sp- I'm I'm gonna be honest. I think about this, and this is coming from someone who. I'm not too into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know this isn't a part, just... I'm not too into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can think of two films I've seen from it that I like. Mm -hmm. But just superhero movies in general, I think the only ones that I, like, really, really like are the first two Batman movies, uh, the Tim Burton ones from the 80s, Mm -hmm. and Into the Spider-Verse. I kind of like Spider-Man 1, but I wouldn't put it there. I think... I think there's only three superhero movies that I really, truly enjoy. In Into the Spider-Verse was definitely one of them. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so cool. There's so much love behind the animation and everything. It's just like, ugh. I know it's stylistically unique. It does it does comic book things without making it a comic book movie. People kept saying that it was formatted like a comic book, and I was thinking uh, um, like panels, like Scott Pilgrim did. Mm-hmm. Which is just dumb. Which wasn't all the time, obviously, but <laughs> right. But they still did it. I'm just like, yeah. Or like, yeah. or like, it's like the original Hulk movie. Oh, exactly like that. You uh, know what? That is more of what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. Is the original Hulk movie. But instead, what they were meaning is like the squiggle lines for Spider Sense, and sometimes his inner thoughts appear as like a box. There's not a lot of like. There's actual panels on the screen, My- and here's a page. My favorite little detail is when they're running from this one facility and one of them picks up a bagel and as they're running, they throw it back at another person and beans them in the head and it's off in the distance. And so it hits them and they see the little graphic pop up. It would be like a little pow. But if you, if you look closely, it actually says bagel. <laughs> <laughs> like when it gets hit. Like I love this movie. It is funny. Actually, I remember that escaping from the facility scene kind of reminded me of a ride at Universal. I think that'd make a good 4D motion coaster ride. It would. The where whole the screen movie is would. like playing on in front of you. The whole movie really would. There's a lot of cool scenes like with like effects and everything they could totally take advantage of. Definitely. I'm glad it's up for uh, an Oscar. And looking at the other, the ones that I've seen in that best animated feature category, I think it has a good chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So, I have two more things that I'm going to talk about real quick. Uh, yep. Isle of, Isle of Dogs, I saw. Nice. It's also up for Best Animated Feature. I don't know if you saw this. A lot of people slept on it. I, uh, I wanted to. I never got around to it. 
I, I feel bad that not as many people watched it as they could have. I, because I really like it. I like oh, the yeah. style of it. I, good old Wes Anderson. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I like the symmetry that he always does too. He's, uh, it's a very comforting uh, shot style he does. Yeah. I, I like style and I like the characters of the film. A lot of them exhibit like characteristics that they don't harp on. Like, I'm the smart one or I'm the jealous one. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, There's this one dog that loves to gossip and it's a part of his character and it's it flows into the other dialogue so well because they're almost overlapping with their dialogue. Sometimes they'll be doing something and that one dog is just like well I heard this thing about the Outlands and one of the other dogs is like who told you that <laughs> it's like oh uh, what's his name on top of the hill oh really what do you say and there's a lot of free flowing dialogue in that I really like oh yeah he does uh, he does realistic uh, characters very well or I maybe mean, not necessarily realistic but like realistic dialogue at least yeah but that's going to lead into my last thing real quick uh, the Annie's the 2019 Annie's, I did not see the Golden Globes, but I actually did watch the entirety of the Annie Awards mm-hmm. online because they do ne- that now. Um, yeah. Like the video the, game awards. I don't watch those. Good. Neither do I. I'm uh, saying. I haven't watched those in a while. Um, but uh, I felt bad because the Isle of Dogs was up for a ton of awards, but it didn't like win any. The only one that it won was... I think it was for best voiceover performance in a theatrical feature, and it was Brian Cranston as the lead dog in this movie. Uh, and he didn't even show up. That's a really specific, really specific award. Like the voiceover. Well, I mean, the Annie Awards are the animation awards, so those are the only acting awards they give out are for voiceover performances. All right, I guess. Still, it sounds they do vaguely... it for. T- yeah. Sorry. It just it just sounds very specific when when just with that title. Yeah, it does. They have to elaborate. I think the only two actor awards they give out there are for voiceover in TV and voiceover in movie. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's funny because he didn't even show up, and Jim Cummings was co-hosting that segment. <laughs> and I remember him, I remember him asking for Brian Cranston to come to the stage, and him just saying, "Did anyone from this movie even show up to this thing?" Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But uh, that was fun because Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse won, like, eight awards, so... Oh, that's good, at least. It literally swept to the Annie's. Oh. But, yeah, that's uh, that's everything that I watched. Hopefully, I will uh, catch up, especially on the best pictures, before next before the Oscars, even. Because yeah. those will come before our next episode. Yeah, exactly. So. And maybe we'll do a re- little reflection afterwards. It doesn't have to be a whole big thing. Yeah, true. I'm I'm almost certainly not gonna watch them. I'll just look at the results later. Yeah, but all that aside, let's get to the real reason we're here. The Wizard of Oz. To discuss. Oh, the Wizard of Oz. Okay. Oh, what, what were you gonna say? I mm, I watched something else, but you know what? I'm just gonna bluff my way through it and see what happens. All right, cool. <clears throat> I, I should also just say for the record, every episode I have done that, I am not clear on what this show is at all. All right, starting with uh, 1939's The Wizard of Oz, we open in a very realistic interpretation of Kansas with a palette of brown and slightly lighter brown. And here we meet Dorothy Gale, played by Judy Garland, running back to her farm run by her Aunt Em, Clara Banwick, and Uncle Henry, Charlie Grapewin. 
a woman named Miss Gulch, Margaret Hamilton, who apparently owns half the county they live in, has it out for Dorothy's dog Toto and wishes to, in her own words, destroy it. Dorothy tries telling her aunt, uncle, and three farmhands, but all are too busy to help. Gulch drops by with papers, allowing her to confiscate the dog, and she leaves with it. Toto escapes back to Dorothy, and they run away from home. They soon meet a man named Mr. Marvel, played by Frank Morgan, who convinces her to go back home, and she arrives in the midst of a tornado only to be slammed on the head while she's in the house, causing her to pass out. <clears throat> After some trippy effects from inside the tornado, the house lands, and she comes to and meets Glinda the Good Witch, played by Billy Burke, and the people of Munchkinland. They show her that she has killed the Wicked Witch of the East, and after a confrontation with the Wicked Witch of the West, Glinda fixes the ruby slippers of the deceased hag to her feet and sends her on her way to the Emerald City to see a wizard who can send her home. Along the way, she runs into the Scarecrow, Ray Bolger, who desires a brain, the Tin Man, Jack Haley, who desires a heart, and the Cowardly Lion, Bert Lar, who desires the nerve. Though the Wicked Witch attempts to intervene, she is constantly thwarted and they soon make it to the Emerald City. They get in to see the wizard, who promises them their items if they can bring him the witch's broomstick. They make their way there through a rather abrupt cut, but the trio of costume freaks finds themselves sneaking in after Dorothy is kidnapped by the witch's flying monkeys. They free her, but all get cornered, and as the witch casts Faraga on the Scarecrow, Dorothy throws water and melts the witch. They take the broomstick to the wizard, only to reveal a con man behind the curtain to the left. He gives them all what they wanted, sort of, but abandons Dorothy in the city as his hot air balloon takes off into the stratosphere. Glinda tells her she could always go home, after a lesson, really? Glinda sucks. And this leads to Dorothy waking up to the whole cast hovering over her worried sick. We cut to the end title card, with the audience assuming that Miss Gulch will be back again for the dog tomorrow. Next on to Return to Oz, 1985. <clears throat> Aunt Em is fed up with Dorothy, now played by a young Feruza Balk, yammering about Oz, so she takes her to an asylum where a doctor, his nurse, and his assistants offer to house her overnight using new experimental electrical equipment on her mind so that she'll stop having Oz dreams. During a storm, the power goes out and while everyone is investigating the problem, a girl in white shows up to free Dorothy from her restraints and they escape, only to fall into a rushing river and then everything goes black. Dorothy wakes up alongside her chicken from back on the farm Bellina, voiced by Den Denise Breyer, Oh yeah, she can now talk. And they make their way through the woods, finding the ruined yellow brick road, which leads them to the ruins of the Emerald City, now inhabited by a group called the Wheelers, who chase her into a room where she finds a wind-up man named TikTok, voiced by Sean Barrett, who helps her to beat up the Wheelers, who escort the three to Mombi, played by Jean Marsh, who now presides over the city. She wants Dorothy's head for a collection, so she locks her in the tower where she finds Jack Pumpkinhead, voiced by Brian Henson. He helps her leave the tower, and while she steals a life potion from Mombi, TikTok, Bellina, and Jack create a flying sofa with the head of a gump, which is sort of a moose. Dorothy brings back the potion as Mombi chases her. They bring the gump, Lyle Conway, uh, does the voice now, to life, and they fly out the window over the Desert of Death, or whatever the hell it's called, and then they crash land outside the Gnome King's Lair, uh, who is played by Nicole Williamson. He brings the group in and reveals that he has the Scarecrow, played by Justin Case, which is not a joke name, uh, and he has him turned into an ornament in his collection. He offers to play a game with the group to allow them to guess which one is him, which is very Indiana Jones-like. After some mishaps, Dorothy guesses correctly, Belina lays an egg in the Gnome King's mouth, which somehow kills him, and Dorothy uses her ruby slippers, which she obtained from the Gnome King, to wish the Emerald City fixed, and teleport them all there. 
Dorothy frees Ozma, the Queen of Oz, I guess, and goes back home with Belina staying in Oz. Back in Kansas, it's shown the asylum burned down with the doctor dead and the nurses being carted away for some reason. The end. With the end moral of, if you have a you know, escapist fantasy that might seem a little weird, do what the rest of us do. Suppress that shit and do not tell anyone, you idiot. Yeah, just seriously don't even talk about <laughs> you it. You can go to a home for that. If you had not escaped, you would have died there. You probably <laughs> would have died there. You would have been tied up, the lightning would have struck, and you would have died with Dr. What's-His-Name. And if, so, and if ha you didn't, happy? And even if that didn't happen, you'd have electrodes attached to your head for weeks. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we get too far, I'm going to do the full circle now. So, starting with The Wizard of Oz, 1939, we have John Lee Mahin, who did dialogue and continuity writing for Scarface, but he was also an uncredited contributing writer on A Star is Born and The Wizard of Oz, which, I don't know how much he looked into this movie, The Wizard of Oz, I mean, uh, but there are there's quite a lot of information about the numerous drafts that were made for the film before it was actually created. Didn't look into it too, too much, but at this point I've seen the movie a couple of times in my life, so I'm just kind of like, yeah, right, I pretty much know this. <laughs> <laughs> like the dance contest that was cut? Didn't know that. <laughs> I'll talk about some of that later. Um, but we also have a connection between The Wizard of Oz and A Star is Born, the 1937 version, uh, with Clara Blandick, who played Auntie M in The Wizard of Oz, and Aunt Maddie in A Star is Born. She That's where I plays recognize a lot of her. Ants, I guess. Yes. That's where I recognize it. Oh my god. I guess she just like she's typecast it. She was typecast as an ant, which is nice. <laughs> so moving on to Return to Oz, nineteen eighty-five. There's one connection, believe it or not, with the Karate Kid from two thousand and ten. Dang. Uh, a that, studio that movie. I swear, it keeps coming back up into everything. <laughs> I think you're right. I think Karate Kid is like the center of the cinematic universe. It's not even in it's not even in our country. <laughs> but um I just picked this because I found it really interesting. Uh but this woman named Mary Jo McVeigh, McVeigh, I guess. Probably McVeigh. Has she's she's been studio teaching since Return to Oz. That was the first film she taught studio-wise. And she's still doing it. Up to most recently on the set of A Dog's Journey, which I believe comes out this year, doesn't it? Oh yeah, isn't that that movie that the trailer basically spoiled the entire thing? I think so. Yeah, like even <laughs> I don't know how much there is to be spoiled. I mean, but... like yeah, but it even shows like a, the scene, like a scene right where the ending would be. So it's like, all right, it's like we get <laughs> what a it. Great film. Yeah, <laughs> dog and... dog leaves comes back. The end. <laughs> Moving on. Lastly, to tie this all off, I don't know if you're going to be surprised or not, but Return to Oz has a lot in common with uh, Little Shop of Horrors, 1986. I mean, I'd assume Jim Henson. Well, uh, Jim Henson's son, Brian Henson, who, uh, he was one of the principal puppeteers on Audrey 2, mm -hmm. but he was also the voice and puppeteer he was a puppeteer for and voice of jack pumpkinhead oh 
So whenever he speaks or whenever his head stretches upwards, that's Brian Henson. Wow. Um, we also have John Alexander, who was another puppeteer for the Audrey II plant. He puppeted the Cowardly Lion all by himself. That was him. All two scenes. All two scenes. And Mac Wilson actually was a, a doo-wop street singer in Little Shop of Horrors and was the puppeteer for the chicken, Belina. Hmm. So, That's a little we got random, some puppeteers then. crossing. <laughs> yeah, we got some puppeteers crossing in and out here. Uh, I mean, you know, but, I, feel, uh, that, I, feel like in, I feel like in that specific era of Hollywood, that was a pretty small circle. This is a very uh, two. this is a very specialized craft for when it was around. Which is kind of sad because now it's pretty much gone. It's like it didn't even have a chance to really grow. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool to look at the random moments in technological history, just being like, hey, we had this for a bit, but then things got, you know, better or worse for one particular reason. And it was like, all right, this is gone. Yeah. But I, like I said, that's that's all I have for Full Circle. So Not too bad. Let's we, just get... We haven't had a lot of big sorry? ones. That's good, at least. Oh, yeah. We haven't had anything really long, I think, since... I remember Oceans being bad. Yeah, Oceans was bad. <laughs> But besides that, yeah, we have yet to hit a really big one. Yeah. Um, so uh, where do you, where do you want to start on this? Where do you want to go? Oh man, like, like first and foremost, I gotta say, super surprised at Return to Oz. Like, when you like like on the surface, someone ever told me like if someone told me like when you told me there is a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, I would immediately think that sounds horrible. It sounds like one of those cheap rip-off Disney sequels that they did. Like, they did the sequel to The the Secret of Nim. Like, it went from Don Bluth to, oh, like, that yeah. cheap, to that really cheap animation. It's just like, <laughs> all right, no. <laughs> any Or any of the other Disney sequels, like, this technically is. Like, yeah. Cinderella 3, where they travel through time, or... Yeah, it's just like... Bambi 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just... But then I went into this... I went into this into Return to Oz with that mindset, and I was very pleasantly surprised. This was a really good movie. Like, it's not a musical. It's based off of the original books, like the second and third book in the original Oz uh, trilogy. And it's like it's darker. It's got an actually like age appropriate main actress. It's just it really surprised me, and I was actually very, very, very pleased with it. I am so glad that you liked it oh, and that yeah. we don't have to have like a conversation about it because there's, I, I actually did watch Return to Oz as a child mm. and uh, pretty much all I remembered about it was it scaring me. And, and right. so going back to it and watching it, there are definitely flaws, uh, parts of the movie that I didn't like or th- where logic was just confusing, but I still, I still enjoyed it. Mm. So yeah. That's definitely that's that's great. I just, yeah, I was just, I would I was very pleasantly surprised going into it. That especially um, like it really did grip me like originally when like right from the get go, just being in can like in the portions in Kansas because it retained kind of the same style that they were going for in the original. Which it should be said that it's kind of unfair to call this a direct sequel to the original Wizard of Oz because, like I said, it's referencing the 
original books more than anything whereas there's just a couple nods to the original like the fact that she has ruby slippers whereas in the original book they were silver or you know the character some of the character designs are kind of consistent and just like a couple little like side items mm-hmm. and so the it, main sorry no no you go ahead i was just gonna like add another throwaway comment well, the main thing that ties these two films together, by any, by all means, this should be an adaptation of the books and not a direct sequel, but any promotional anything, even the back of the DVD, so you know it came out fairly recently, mm-hmm. the back of the DVD I own, anything refers it to an unoffi- refers to it as an unofficial sequel, including Disney itself, but also... The Ruby Slippers, Disney actually had to license from MGM to be able to use them. So they could have just made them silver slippers, but since everyone knows them as Ruby, they put in the extra money to be able to use that right, which I think ties the two films together a lot more. Yeah. There was, like, I remember seeing, like, a there, there was even, um, there's a, a thrown away bit in the script where it was going to be, which also references the books that it's the Ruby slippers would have been destroyed and turned into a Ruby belt that the gnome King would have been wearing or something like huh. that. I don't know. It's like, it's just like another little add on to it. Yeah. I mean, I, with the, with, with the exception that I guess she would have to wear the belt at some point. Um, I, I don't see why they didn't just do that. It would have saved them the money, but maybe the slippers are just so iconic. They maybe. wanted them in there. Yeah, I think I, that, that's probably the main draw. Like, you can't really... Like, that's... With how iconic they are, like, literally, one of the trivia facts of it is that the original slippers are on display in the Smithsonian, and they're so popular that the carpet around the display has to rig- regularly be replaced due to so much wear and tear. This movie, The Wizard of Oz, is... I was really struggling when I was writing the opening for this because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to use the word classic because I feel like we've used it once or twice before, but I was like, that's what it is. That's why I included the AFI Topper thing because it is on so many Film Institute lists at at the very top even. I think a few places credited it as being the most watched film in history given the how often it's shown on TV, how many different re-releases there have been for it, and how it's basically just allowed to be played anywhere. It's like you can play it on family channels, like more adult channels, and it's just everywhere. And it's, I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, yeah, to, to not call this thing a class, it's it, it's impossible to not call this thing a class. Like, like, it's like up there with Gone with the Wind and fucking like, um, you know, Citizen Kane with when you think old movies, you think of this. You know what? I don't think it would be a stretch to say that Wizard of Oz is probably the oldest film that people watch regularly. Yeah. Like, there aren't, like, all the other films, like, even Citizen Kane and Gone with Wind, no one really, like, if someone sees that on TV, they're not necessarily going to go to that. But Wizard of Oz, yeah, heck yeah. (laughs) Or are you watching it with family and that sort of thing? Because you can't really watch Gone with Wind and Citizen Kane with family. Definitely. At least not with a fun family. (laughs) You know what? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe in my family where we could be where we can be into stuff like that, but in just like a pretty regular family, it's like yeah, just Wizard of Oz. But but that also being said, 
when is the last time you watched The Wizard of Oz? Like, before you did it for this show. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably, I mean, I mean, well over a decade at least. It, we, uh, it was probably eight or nine. It was... We, we Our family in particular did have a particular like for it, because I think my sister had done a production of it in high school where she actually got Dorothy. And so I think for a long time it was just kind of a consistently known um, just fact in our household. And so it would have been, if her in high school, yeah, that would have been maybe a decade, maybe 12 years ago, last time I would have seen it. Wow. But yeah, it's just... You know what? I think that's true. I think it, I might have been 10 or 11 when I last watched it instead because we actually did do a production for it in elementary school and mm. I was the scarecrow in that. Oh, nice. We, I think my mother still has the costume somewhere. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, basically what I'm getting at is is that while we are saying this is a film that I'm sure there are people that watch it regularly and it's easy, it's easy to go back to and just watch it, I had not seen it in quite some time. So, yeah, there are a lot of things that really stood out to me that I, re- I don't remember or even knew that existed. Right. And I also do realize now it's like I remember watching back through. It's like I this plot is weirdly reminiscent to me. I don't know why it's so in the forefront of my mind. I realize now because it's since then I had watched the play Wicked. And so a lot yeah. of it's like and I got to tell you with between. The original Wicked and now Return to Oz, there are three different canons for this world in my head now, and I am so damn confused. <laughs> now you got to read the books and exactly because like because uh, Wicked is technically based off the canon of the original film of the right. film, but it itself changes a few things for its own story. And then Return to Oz is based off the books, but not completely. And it's just like ah. <laughs> and so going into Return to Oz with the slight differences, I was like God damn it you know there there are strange things that i picked up in the wizard of oz just in watching it again that i i don't know if they come directly for the book or what their reasoning is but uh there's there's so many weird choices in this film like uh in munchkin land when they're doing that song they run by they run by and wake up babies sleeping in a bird's nest and I thought that was odd. I don't know why that was there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, like, that. it seems like a lot of older films that are tried to be more fantastical don't really have what we'd consider, like, our modern interpretation of fantastical. Because, like, you know, in, like, Return to Oz or Labyrinth and that sort of thing. Like, it, And I should say... I'm probably going to reference Labyrinth a lot in this because they are this Labyrinth and Return to Oz are basically the same movie when you get right down to it. <laughs> it's like it just instead of David Bowie, there's a claymation rock man. I guess the motives are different, but yeah, there's some there's some overlap there. Yeah, at least there's the just the general overarching stuff. But like I said, but, but back to the point, I mean, is like a lot of modern fantastical elements tend to just kind of be like maybe a little vague but still ultimately just kind of like oh cool fairy tale stuff whereas a lot of older films i've noticed have just like either they must be based off of older myths or older you know just cultural things they just get really weird little details sometimes like the the munchkins in the in the bird's nest and stuff it's just like it really they're just like let's just do something that just no society would do like this is just weird (laughs) 
Yeah, it was. It, it actually made me uncomfortable because I, and I, I guess I'm kind of saying that as a joke, but also not really because I remember being like, "Why is that a thing?" And I, I think I focused on it for too long. Uh, I eventually had to just keep watching the movie, but yeah, um, there there is one thing. That was me with the Wheelers and the and the Return to Oz. Oh yeah. Which so Return Return to Oz is very dark and very scary. Oh yeah. Uh, it's terrifying. But there's one thing that I remember writing down in Wizard of Oz when I was taking notes on it that I picked up on I never really thought about before. But when they find the Tin Man, he's talking about how he was in the process of chopping down a tree and then he rusted over and he's been stuck that way because it started to rain i think yeah uh i i find it rather odd that we we come across this tin man and he tells us his life story that involves chopping down a tree right after we have a scene with sentient trees yeah like uh, are all trees sentient is there like a degree of sentience are some of them I, I, I want to know how that works. Because then, in, I guess in Return to Oz, there's like a lunch pail tree, which is like the first thing that they see in Oz when she gets there. But it yeah. doesn't smack her for taking the lunch pail berries. It's like, I really do think they... And and I think that, like I really get down to it. Like That's my one of my bigger complaints with the original Wizard of Oz, is that... It really doesn't seem to have a string of its own logic that's going by, even though even by the standard of Oz, where everything's meant to be strange and otherworldly, because it's it really is just played up to, to be a dream from Dorothy. Like whereas in Return to Oz, it is meant to be established that Oz does actually exist. Um, but it in the original Wizard of Oz, it really doesn't have its own consistent string of logic because you know we have the like you know we barely learn about the wicked witch of the east that's just kind of there and gone we barely have time to establish with the munchkins and all that they're doing and then we go straight to the to the scarecrow we have the scene with the sentient trees we go to the tin man who is also chopping down some kind of trees not the same kind of trees and then like you know and just goes on and on through all these various things and just these various little locales and then right up to the end with the Wicked Witch of the West with just the random out of nowhere um, weakness of that she just melts with water. It's like yeah, I wrote that down too. It's never something that I really thought about, but why is water such a? I don't. I wish I had looked it up, and it may have just been some like old myth of the day, like maybe like witches can't be hit with like some kind of water. Like there's the myth that vampires can't cross a moving water source or something. Oh. But, like, hmm. it just, it really just kind of seems like it's just kind of stringing along, meant to be these very lo- localized, fantastical elements just for the sake of the audience. Whereas the Return to Oz, it does definitely feel like all of these things happen for some strange reason that we just personally can't understand. Like, you know, there's the fact that, um, oh, uh, the princess, what was the princess's name? The, with the heads. I'll- Oh, Mombi? Mombi. Like, there's the Princess Mombi who's living in the ruins of Oz who has stolen the heads from other beautiful women and switches them out, like, um, just as a fashion accessory. And each of them having their, still having their own sentience and their own memories and everything. It's just... And seeing that it's creepy and it's otherworldly and 
it's it like feels in fitting with what we've seen so far. Like we have creatures that have wheels on their arms and legs that they use to get around and all these other things like this fully mechanical clockwork soldier. It really does feel like there is a consistent string of logic in that we could not possibly follow it with anything of the information that we could have at this point. Whereas wizard of Oz just kind of like just strings us along. <laughs> it just kind of has fun with it. Yeah. That's true. It it really just seems more like guys sitting around a table being like, what's another weird thing they could run into? Poppy field. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Allegory to heroin. Boom. I mean, uh, I mean, opium, whatever. (laughs) That is something that kind of confused me, though, in Return to Oz is that they there's all these heads Uh that. I don't know if Jack Pumpkinhead is like a reliable narrator. I don't see any reason for him not to be. But he says that the reason she hasn't done anything with him is because she was wearing head number 22, so she probably hasn't worn the head since and therefore has forgotten about him. Mm -hmm. But by that logic, I don't know, the heads that she gathered from the maidens of Emerald City, should they not have their own memories? Is there some way that she connects them to herself? I think maybe it tries to establish like the that her body itself might have some level of control. Like, I mean, you, we literally see the body asleep and somehow snoring at one point <laughs> without a head. That's right, it is snoring. So it's like, it's kind of, you know, questionable to ask. Is like, is her original head truly her defining thing? Or like, is there still a connection between the original head and the body? Or something like that. But again, it's one of those things where it's, it, it establishes enough rules that we can kind of work with it. And that it stays at least solid in its foundation, but it's also so mysterious and so otherworldly creepy that we can't really understand it. You know what? That I, I guess what you're saying is kind of, is is pretty much true because there are weird fantastical elements of the Wizard of Oz, but it really hammers home in a lot of ways the fact that it's sort of a dream state. Whereas Return to Oz. There's the narrative that she's, like, in the river, so maybe she passed out, she's unconscious, and this is sort of a dream. But it doesn't rely on the dream narrative all that much. It feels much more like, uh, this is a real place. She created it with her imagination, but she also is actually here. Yeah. Or at least that, it feels like that's more of what they were going for. Right. And that's kind of what I was saying near to the beginning, just kind of the idea of, um... That, uh, that in Return to Oz, uh, Oz is kind of more of an escapist fantasy than anything, whereas um, in the original Wizard of Oz, it's kind of more just this chaotic dream that she has just as a result of this of this uh, twister. And the kind of she establishes this whole escapist fantasy thing that she can escape to where it still has its own set of rules. I mean, we've all had like, you know, at some point we've daydreamed about a different place we could be, but it's still like, there is still limits within it. We could still, there's still conflict. There's still fear. There's still other things beyond it. It's just somewhere other than where we are now, which is kind of interesting. Like it's, it's kind of makes it a little bit more confusing as to, you know, whether or not how we're supposed to interpret the whole story. But I really liked thinking about that aspect. Like, especially the fact that, you know, she's taken to an asylum to be treated. And so it inevitably, and like it, you know, it establishes that since she's able to escape with the help of uh, Ozma, that yeah, Oz exists. Like, there's no way she could have gotten out otherwise. 
you know what? That's true. It has to. Yeah. For her restraints. But like, you know, and I'm oh, sure there's wow. still arguments to be made that maybe they could have gotten out. She could have gotten out in some other sense. But that does kind of really establish it definitively there. But, you know, I just it also just kind of goes to the idea of, you know, maybe it's just this idea of escape in general. It just it immediately kind of hammers it home there with the getting out of there during the storm. You know what? I kind of want to go back through the opening scenes of the movie where Ozma is helping her escape and the nurse is chasing them mm-hmm. to see if the nurse like focuses in on Ozma at all. I think at one point if she like recognizes her or, like not recognizes her but like looks at her and sees that she's there. I think at one she... point it it's it's kind of like it's said in the middle of the storm and even the subtitles said um said like, you know, assorted yelling or whatever but you can kind of hear her yell get them and so it might get them. it might be that but beyond that i'm not certain okay hmm. and i think but, uh, i think even the director himself established at some point it's like oz is meant to exist in this universe but you know i mean exist or not exist there definitely is that imaginative in both films, whether she's sleeping or drowning, there is that sort of imagination that sparks it because that's how we get, in in the case of both films, how we get character analogs mm-hmm. uh, to one another. Like, uh, so in The Wizard of Oz, I didn't really take the time to bring it up. But let me just grab my thing here. We have, uh, whew, boy, where'd I put it? We have Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow, Jack Haley as the Tin Man, and Burt Lars as the Cowardly Lion, who all show up in the opening scenes in Kansas. They're all different farmhands, and I guess go- I guess going into the movie having already seen it, and even if you hadn't seen it, you like know what it's about at this point. It's so well revered. Yeah, of course. But it's pretty heavy-handed, like, the conversations that they're giving to her. Like, well, you think your head was filled with straw. Like, stuff like that. Right, and then, and, like, analogs to when one of them is, um, like, if they'll make a statue of me. as he's Yeah, which I, I obviously didn't pick up on when I watched it when I was younger, but... Right. Like, I get that now immediately. Oh, yeah. And so, that, that's why I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to call it ham-fisted, because I didn't know it until this watch exactly like like kind of like i i learned about the fact that they were meant to be stand-ins in the story itself the story itself years after i had first seen it and i was like what that's not a thing they were clearly different one of them was a lion not a dude (laughs) (laughs) did they even watch the same movie as me it's not it's Um, not a dude who's jumping into some pig pen it's like no there's a that's a genuine farmhand type fella yeah, it's a farmhand type fella. <laughs> Only one of them in Oz even does real work. He's got an axe and everything. Yeah. But uh, we'd also be remiss if we left out uh, Mrs. Miss Gulch, who would ever marry her, uh, <laughs> played by Margaret Hamilton, who also plays the Wicked Witch of the West. And God bless Margaret Hamilton, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's great. Did you ever see her on uh, Mr. Rogers? I, I haven't. I want to go. But I know she's been on the episodes. I've wanted to see her. Yeah, that was great. Um, but that's kind of it. I was I was thinking about analogs between the real world and Oz, but besides the characters, I couldn't really place any. Oh, oh, we almost forgot Frank Morgan. 
as... is oh, Mr. Yeah, Marvel as... or Professor Marvel, whatever, and then he's also the wizard. Yeah. So I, there's that too. Um, but while I was watching the movie, I only picked up on one other thing, and it seems more like a cute little thing they did rather than an actual like comparison piece mm-hmm. or tie between the universes. But um, I don't know if you noticed the front of Marvel's wagon. When they're going in to talk, it says balloon enthusiast <laughs> on the side of it. Yeah. I just happened to catch that. Uh, and, of course, knowing how the movie ends, seeing that, I was like, oh, wow, that's, like, foreshadowing, kind of. Yeah, a little bit, at least. Yeah. yeah Oz doesn't even... It, it's, it really is weird thinking between Wizard of Oz and Return of Oz, because they don't... Because, like, so few of the original characters show back up. When you really think about it, like yeah, Oz isn't they're there. They're all changed vastly. Yeah, exactly. They're based more on the book than anything. I mean, the lion is actually a lion. The Tin Man looks like a, a kind of more of a robot. Which also, the the origin story of the Tin Man in this one like took me by <laughs> surprise because like I wrote that down. I put down very dark origin for the Tin Man yeah, in my notes. And I, I, like, I, I'll and I'll just say for the sake of the audience, like in the original, it he just kind of briefly offhand mentions that he um like his father was a tinsmith who literally built him like from the ground up but in return to oz and i guess subsequently the original books he was actually a originally a normal woodsman but he had like chopped off his leg at some point and had it replaced with tin and then the wicked witch replaced his entire body with tin and it's like holy hell no wait no it was like he kept chopping other yeah, parts of yeah. himself off and he kept replacing it with tin i was like what the hell in the book in the book maybe the witch does it but i definitely remember yeah she because it cuts to her in the doctor's office and that's all she's explaining about oz yeah or, like that's a, the part of the conversation you pick up on she's going and he just was chopping and chopping and chopping until he was all tin i was like what the hell like, my i don't remember God. that it's like, and it really does, and like, they really do hammer that home, because she refers to him as the Tin Woodsman, specifically in Return to Oz, whereas he's just the Tin Man in the original. Yeah. And it's like, I saw that, I was like, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> like, they, they really do hammer that, and I guess like, and that's just the main overarching thing of both of these, is just like, the tone is all over the place. Uh, well, not all over the place, they're just very, very different. Yeah. And I... Hmm. And I gotta say, I, I mean, think I prefer the dark tone, honestly, with how strange this world is. It really makes it feel like it has, it feels like an actual world, like we've established, you know, before. It's not just a, you know, it's not just stringing along set pieces. It, I mean, there obviously are at various set pieces in each thing, but it really does feel like they're interacting with a world that's going through some crazy shit, rather than, oh, here's a dream, there's some babies in a bird's nest, ha <laughs> ha! I definitely had more fun with Return to Oz, uh, but yeah. uh, I don't want to. I don't want to lose the the thread here. Um, the like you said, those three characters are barely in Return to Oz at all. Mainly because she's returning after some period of time. Mm-hmm. The lion and the tin woodsman are just, they're there in the Emerald City, but they're ones I guess rusted, and the other one is stone. Or maybe they're both stone. It doesn't really matter for the Tin Woodsman. He's not moving. Yeah, they're, they're um, both stone. Which is like, it's weird because they specifically established that only the living get turned. Well, which, okay, yeah, I guess the, the Tin Woodsman is alive. 
like he was a man at one point versus like TikTok is literally a um he's a machine he's literally a machine which also i should say because like i haven't given enough credit to TikTok. the actor who played him in the suit was like a gymnast who walked on his hands to pilot him that's awesome yeah like he was like he was flipped upside down he's like i guess a contortionist or something he was flipped upside down and he used his arms to operate the legs and then his legs to um operate the upper portion like just like the basic turning and everything and versus i think any facial animation stuff was by like another puppeteer. puppeteer yeah yeah yeah, well, that's awesome. I didn't know that. It's like it's like the their equivalent of the R two D two. It's like just wow. a whole. There's a whole dude in that thing, just just walking on his hands. Um, apparently there was a lot yeah. of discomfort with making this movie. Like even the main young actress, whose name escapes me now, like she couldn't. Furza bulk. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she couldn't wear like any of the shoes that were provided to her for longer than a few minutes because they were horribly uncomfortable including the ruby slippers especially so anytime she only ever wore them when she absolutely had to be shown like from her like her her feet would be shown otherwise she was barefoot the entire time oh wow yeah okay oh, oh okay i keep losing my <laughs> yeah sorry 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 <laughs> no it's okay we, we we adore facts here uh especially fun facts but it actually is interesting because those characters from the first one barely show up at all, so there's no need to have an analog for them anymore. The farmhands aren't even there; they're not even in the movie. Yeah, no. But I think they like. Um, they, I guess they maybe like left because they were out of money or something. Yeah, because the farm had to be rebuilt. It's like, well, there's no work here. I mean, I guess building the house they could have helped that, but yeah, no money probably. Yeah. Uh, anywho, we still do have analog characters, but they're. With the exception of the Gnome King and Mombi, they're a lot more obscure. Like, uh, Jack Pumpkinhead is like a pumpkin she gets from Ozma while she's in the asylum. Yeah. And TikTok is the machine that the doctor is using. It even has sort of the eyes and some of the dials make up the mustache. Mm-hmm. So she's still clearly pulling things in right. from that world. They're just it's darker and there's less human beings that she, she's starting to pull inanimate objects into this world too. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the doctor, which is Nicole Williamson is the gnome King. He even plays the gnome King when he's fully human. And, uh, or the nurse played human. by, uh, what's her name? Why didn't I write some of these down? Jean Marsh, <laughs> uh, is also Mombi with her original head. The other two, Mombi heads are different actresses, but the main head is Jean Marsh, who played the nurse. Yes. But, uh, for analogs, they actually get... They they pull more into the world, I think, like, uh, when he's, he's trying... So, the Gnome King specifically, he's becoming more and more human by making people forget Oz, and that's the Doctor's whole goal with Dorothy, is well, at least in Dorothy's mind, is to make her forget about Oz. So they have that going there. But I also found it interesting that when they're playing the guessing game with the ornaments, every time someone guesses wrong, lightning flashes, which is very reminiscent not just of the lightning storm going on at the asylum, but also the electrical components that the Doctor's so fascinated with. Yeah, like it's actually like the, you know, the electrotherapy working. Right. 
And then, of course, the really hammer-at-home bit uh, at the end is where the doctor dies and uh, the nurse is carted away for some reason. I really don't understand that, but there's ties to what happens in Oz with Mombi being imprisoned and the Gnome King being killed. I think I think it might be like a thing where historically there were more and more... Um, cases of like asylum workers being revealed to like there's always like the the myth that oh asylums are full of you know these crazy people who are just you know hurting these nurses and everything when in reality it was the nurses who were like genuinely torturing these people like a lot of stories like that were starting to come to light historically so i think that's might that might be what happened that like you know they looked into the affair that was happening there and they realized oh they had a bunch of like they even they, like um Ozma mentions it as they're running out that you hear um, inmates moaning and screaming um, before they run out. And Ozma says it's literally um, failed patient experiments that have been locked in the basement who then were presumably killed in the fire. And they would have like the investigators who went to the fire would have seen that and been like, oh, the caretakers literally locked their patients in the basement. This lady's going to jail. (laughs) You know what? That definitely that's that makes more sense, and that's a good narrative to have. Yeah, because I, I think I think that if they had a clumsy throwaway line in there, like they found the failed experiment or something really clumsy like that, mm-hmm. I almost feel like that would be better than just leaving it as it is. Because I just I was so confused. I didn't I didn't follow it at all. Mm. I think to I be just honest. I think I just remember that line because it was a very quick throwaway line of her saying it's like what was what was all that screaming I heard? It's like it's the you know, it's the other, pa- it's the failed patients in the basement, and then that's it. That's all they say of it. <laughs> it's very brief, and I wish they had brought it up a bit more. And like, I think that right. I think that might that might actually be that's that's the other analog. The failed experiments are the other ornaments in his collection. Oh, you know what? That's a good that's a good thought. I mean, yeah. also she. You know what? We were talking about analogs. I just. I just happened to look at my notes and I realized something because I wrote this down in two different sections. When I first saw the nurse, I wrote down, that's a ridiculously stupid outfit she's wearing because it has those yeah. weird shoulder pads that point. She was wearing like a and, like a straight up Victorian like mourning dress. Yeah, like she, like she was going to a funeral, which technically I guess she was every time she opened a door. True. But uh, I look down to number 13 on the notes that I typed up. Mombi's shoulder pads are stupid because they were like these big, fancy, they clang, so I figure they're sharp, like these these... things that jut out from her shoulders. That's another analog, just her outfit is an analog. She's super vain, yeah. That's crazy. The center of her her whole character is pretty much vanity. I guess or just pride in general. Yeah, I think I think Return to Oz has a lot more uh, connections to the world of Kansas than the original one does because they they're even pulling in like small beats that Dorothy would remember yeah. before she goes unconscious, like all this stuff packed into a fairly short amount of time. Because let's be honest, in the Wizard of Oz, I that's another note I wrote down. They are in Kansas for forever. I forgot how long they stayed there. Yeah. There was even talk, like I, I read in the trivia, there was even talk of cutting the original Somewhere Over the Rainbow, um, which, you know, uh, I should just give props because I love that song to, you know, God rest uh, Israel, uh, Kamakawe, uh, Kamakawe Kaleo, 
I, I need to. Oh yeah, who did the uh, the original song? Yeah, that's a great song. Oh yeah, but I, yeah, you'll love it. But um, but yeah, the, the, there was actually talk in the original for actually not having that in at all because people thought that the Kansas section dragged too long. Which I mean, it really does. And it's for really, all yeah, I know, the does. return to Oz. Ca- for all I know, the return to Oz Kansas section is just as long. But it was holding my attention a lot better. Oh, yeah. Probably because was, they're in an asylum with people screaming. Like, it actually, it, it really did everything. Like, in that opening section, I immediately was really hooked because it really did everything a sequel slash remake should do. It comes back to the world that we know. It establishes that it's here. This is what you understand. And it doesn't, like, try to, It both A, doesn't handhold us, but B, doesn't expect us to know every detail like it still recounts past events but then also says goes with it it's like you know this is dorothy she has she lived in oz yada yada you know this um and then it takes that world and it expands upon it we literally see outside of their homestead we literally see the town that she's in and then subsequently the doctor that she goes to it's like we're in an actual vibrant world and it's really cool to see like oh we're seeing the context of where they live they literally mention it's almost it's two months until the year 1900 it's the advent of modern you know amenities and electricity and the what would be considered of the day modern medicine even though it was still pretty much all just more art than science terrible horrifying illegitimate art but still (laughs) that's a good that's a good point i uh and so it's just i do appreciate the elaboration that they that they uh go through because because you really are right elaborating on a world instead of just repeating the story beats yeah is fairly important yeah and so many remakes and and or like overdue sequels do exactly that they just rehash the original story and don't really make it their own which i i think every remake there should be some reason to be remaking it either because you want to put someone wants to put an extra extra spin on the story that they think would benefit the story as a whole or they think it needs to be brought up again for like modern context and like modern cultural trends what have you it really needs to and a lot of places don't do that they just do it for the brand recognition and just so they'll kind of cash things in but they don't actually respect it <laughs> ghost in the shell and so <laughs> it actually it actually has something going for it that's that's true and i just wanted to bring uh one more thing up before we move off this analog topic. Yeah. Completely. And it's only because I just happen to look at my notes again. <laughs> well, I have these almost, notes right in front of me. Yeah, it's almost like they're necessary. Well, I have these notes written down for my thoughts during the movie, but when I look at them, sometimes I create points in the moment out of my notes. And fairly late in the film, I wrote down, does the Gump have no analog in the real world? And... I just happened to look at that, and I thought w- about what you were saying about the experimentation. I think that's, I think that could be what the Gump is because it's 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 like this. Ex- it's it's just an assemblance of different things, mm-hmm. all put together. Yeah, maybe. And 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 it's given life. I think that's interesting that all of her companions in this one. It's not like, oh well, I'm secretly smart, but I think I'm stupid, or I cry for all the time, but I think I'm heartless. All of these characters are like beings that are alive that either shouldn't be or don't think they are. It's like this collection of furniture. It's 
a pumpkin on sticks that was given life and then a robot which by every mean is not alive but is still capable of like thinking and everything yeah he cries at one point yeah near uh near the end of the movie he cries which is like well he's crying i mean you could say like and you could make up all sorts of things for why that happens but that's like symbolically in the movie that's like well he's alive and then the only creature that actually was alive with them was a what would normally be considered just a, a you know a lesser creature with um the chicken so yeah and that's you know almost the same and i think i think the analog there is meant to be they're all meant to just be kind of stand-ins for dorothy's um just dorothy's just kind of personal feelings on the subject like she's being carted around and being considered this liability and this like basically not even alive it's that all these thoughts in her head aren't real they're just her being weird and that yeah and that maybe like you know even she herself thinks maybe i'm not you know good enough or maybe i'm not real enough for these people but then like and then in the end she's like no like all this is real i can accept that and what they say doesn't matter Hmm. that's true that's you know, a that's a, a very lot. flimsy one i admit but it, at the moment i didn't really i didn't really think about it too much <laughs> no that this movie returned to oz specifically because we're not i i don't know why i'm saying specifically we're not talking about wizard of oz right now yes but return to oz has a lot to do about life death and humanity like uh by making people forget about oz he's turning them into trinkets he's essentially killing these these people and he's becoming more and more human to the point where i i completely lost the narrative at one point and he was just like being played by the actor smoking a pipe i was like what happened why is he no longer claymation yeah uh and that confused me for a bit but leaving that behind like that's his whole goal so he's also trying to gain life and a big plot point is this desert of death where a wheeler literally accidentally touches the sand and instantly turns to sand and dies and is not alive anymore. Yeah. He's inanimate. He's sand. There's, there's a surprising amount of this going throughout the course of the movie, like being, I'm not going to say what it is to be human. This isn't ghost in the shell, but like (laughs) being human versus being inanimate, giving life or taking life, Mm -hmm. holding life hostage. Like she does with the heads or all the people that are turned to stone or turned to ornaments. There's a lot of that in this movie. I mean, hell it starts off with that. They go to an asylum in an age when lobotomies were a thing. (laughs) You know what? That is the truest thing I think I've ever heard. Exactly. It's like, you know, what's the difference of being alive? It's like, is being alive, having these crazy, what would be considered these eccentric thoughts, or is it better to just be a vegetable? Just like, you know, <laughs> like there we go. This is this is way more thought than I thought that we were going to put into Return to Oz. This is a movie no one thinks or cares about, and like we are doing all the work here. This movie is like almost forty years old, and we are un we are uncovering it is the new meaning behind this. It is the only you know film by its director, which is a shame, and because it, it, it failed so badly. It's oh yeah, just, it there is did horribly. There's so much to talk about with it and i genuinely love it it's it's super like this really is one of those movies where the more you kind of turn it around your head it's like it's a movie that makes you think it's like it's a fun movie but also makes you think i love movies like that it's like you know a lot of those older action flicks like um 
like RoboCop and whatnot. They're, yeah, on the surface, just good, fun action. But then you actually go down and it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's some deep philosophical questions going on. Right. Whereas, with its own merit, The Wizard of Oz has that lesson of there's no place like home, which it chooses to hammer home pretty hard. But Yeah, pretty damn hard. Right. But it, it definitely it definitely is like this fan... Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be drinking soda during this. <laughs> it it definitely is this more fantastical film that is has held the test of time. And I have to wonder, maybe extrapolate with me a bit on this. I don't think The Wizard of Oz is a bad film at all, but why is it that this is so fondly remembered, but Return to Oz is not? Was Return to Oz just given uh, a bad rap because it was trying to follow up on such a classic? Is it because it's dark and maybe children didn't care for it in the theaters? I wonder why. I mean, I think, at least in the first regard, that the reason um, Wizard of Oz is remembered so fondly is A, it just, I guess, it, I think it just set a lot of benchmarks. Like, the, the, the benefit of having a film so far like so far back is that there really wasn't a lot to choose from and that it was still very much a a burgeoning art at the time and so anything that really kind of stood out at this point has kind of set has kind of been accepted as a as a classic in one form or another with the exception of a lot of the you know b movies um because like they were like when was the period when the major motion picture laws would have been put into place like we talked about this with during um a star is born like, it was like late 20s early 30s wizard of oz happened after that yeah because like a lot of films before that aren't as often remembered but then once these um once they became mainstream and they got were you know given the option to become like these blockbusters i think it became really easy for certain films to become just widely beloved and you know w- with good reason wizard of oz is very you know iconic and there's a lot to love about it and even today it still stands up even with some of its effects um it's you know it's just quality made but then compare that to the new one i think maybe i think i mean it's like well compare it to like like i said before compare it to labyrinth labyrinth is like lauded after it's like people love that it's considered a classic by a lot of people today maybe a cult classic but still i have no idea how successful it was at the time but i think it was pretty damn successful and that can probably be attributed to the fact that, you know, David Bowie is the main antagonist, and that was probably a pretty big name draw, but it also had really good effects. It had Jim Henson puppetry and everything, but just, I'm trying to think about what, speci- if there was anything specific about Return to Oz. I think it really was that it was so, I mean, I mean, like, obviously with the name Return to Oz, it's going to be seen it's gonna be immediately seen it's like oh they're trying to do some random sequel of wizard of oz i wish that people may have known the books a bit better and that they maybe could have enjoyed it for what it was um as like based off of that rather than have it be so directly connected to the wizard of oz because that really did just didn't do any kind of favors i mean it's like i mean it's like you know i mean it's like it's the mindset that i had when i was going into it it's like oh this is just some cheap sequel because like cheap sequels existed for decades at that point like they they happened oh yeah they still exist they still exist. still being made it's like 
so like the public would have known about that already so i don't necessarily think the darkness of it on its own would have been enough i mean you know like i mean looking at Leica films and all that sort of films dark films don't turn away kids like kids like dark shit like we we well, that one we much at least know but oh definitely now i just th- I, this is definitely a period that i was not alive during let alone growing up so i'm not sure how that market or demographic has changed over time i think at the so i think at the time it was like you know uh, my mindset of it has been like you know any movie that came out in the 80s was okay to be dark because you realize the political landscape at the time i think everyone was a little dark <laughs> it's like that's that's they pretty could, true they could put up with a lot it's like i definitely it's like, do not want to it's anything mm-hmm. less than nuclear destruction we can deal with that <laughs> Okay, so I definitely do not want to lose this. I want to keep talking about this real quick. Yeah. Labyrinth was a box office failure and oh. is actually the reason that Jim Henson stopped making movies. Holy shit. I did not know that. It did not do well, yeah. I think it made back half its budget, according to this. Huh. Um, that is something. So... Well, then I don't yeah. really know where that they're coming. I guess... I mean, it really kind of... I almost would have to attribute to, like, going even further into the future now like today labyrinth is like like i said like a lot of people consider it a cult classic if only because of jim henson's work on it and just because of just david bowie's in general (laughs) yeah i think maybe after after he passed that a lot of people got back into that sort of stuff probably i remember in middle school i i had never seen labyrinth but i saw it because there was a girl that I knew for a brief period who this was labyrinth actually was her favorite film, Mm -hmm. which is the reason I ended up seeing it. But, um, so it, I think it would, I think it's been a cult classic for a while. Um, but David Bowie's death probably helped, helped it. Probably. Uh, Um, I mean, so we have said a lot of great things about return to Oz. I do want to give a few, nods like superiority nods oh to yeah of course wizard of oz like things that i think it does better and that's and that, uh, and that should be said the problem with the, the comparing these kind of two films like this is that one of them is one that's very much clearly meant to be a very straightforward and ultimately toothless like family kind of fun movie and the other one as we've established has a lot of distinct talking points so it's hard to make them balance sometimes. So we, we should give the credit where it is. <laughs> yeah. I. So I, I don't know how you react to it. Wizard of Oz, a very intentionally funny film. Yes, very There so. are plenty of moments where I actively laughed yes, I, at I, what was going on. I absolutely love the Cowardly Lion. He's one of my favorite film characters of all time. <laughs> he uh, leaps through a window, which I do not remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The close-up shot of uh, the wizard's guard that's, like, guarding the door, the close-up shot of him crying, which is just water pouring down his face, uh-huh. is one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. It, it really is. Because there's no intention to make it seem like it's coming from his eyes. It's just everywhere. Yeah, it's. I, I really did love that. It's just, like, I, I want to be- believe that they did that with that knowledge of, like, we know this looks ridiculous, but that's the whole point. <laughs> Oh, I definitely think the line he says immediately after that was, I had an Auntie M once. Oh, which yeah. Which is so specific and wonderful. It's it's It really does just has this whole feeling of, oh, I've had this uh, thing in the back of my mind. It's got, um, 
uh, it's like Alice in Wonderland, where it's like there really is just like they're saying nonsense, and it's this, these things where it's like in any other situation this makes no sense, and that's ridiculous for you to say, but in this context, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference is that not everyone is out to get Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> Though, if there is a Cheshire Cat analog, it, we are talking a lot about, an, or I'm talking a lot about analogs. And if there's weird. a Cheshire Cat substitute in Wizard of Oz, it's definitely Glinda, who is a bitch and does, like, nothing the whole movie. Oh, yeah. And her actress was a bitch, too, apparently. <laughs> really? Yeah, apparently the actress who played her Bill, was an Billy asshole. Burke. Yeah. Oh, I had not heard this. Versus, uh, um... <laughs> You know, Miss. Dang it, I've lost the West, uh, Witch of the West again. Hamilton? <laughs> Miss Hamilton, yeah. Whereas she was like, there was so many, like, everyone wasn't sure about casting her because we were like, this lady is so nice. How are we going to do this? <laughs> and, like, there were so many scenes where um, Dorothy's actress couldn't do the the line properly because it's like she, she couldn't establish in her mind that she was talking to someone who was evil because she just knew Hamilton was so nice. That's wonderful. I like I like hearing that. Yeah, it's like everyone was just like, "This isn't a doable thing." It's like she's too kind. And then there were so many, there were like so many of her scenes were actually cut because a lot of the times they, um, like like her a lot of her most of her scenes were either cut or trimmed down because the people on set were like, "We can't release this. They would be too scary." <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, they literally like there were times where it's like she was literally scarier than we see on screen. What is widely awesome, established though. to be one of the scariest um, film villains of all time. Like, to this day, she's still, you know, like, you know, te- like, not, not terrifying, but, you know, you know, cre- creepy. Yeah, we're desens. I mean, we're desensitized a fair bit at this point, but still, she is- she does scare kids. I remember being scared. Of her. I actually had a friend uh, whose mother would. This is notorious in my family now. We talk about it all the time. But her mother would not let her watch it because the witch threatens the dog. Oh, yeah. So at least come high school, she had never seen The Wizard of Oz. I don't know about past that point, but... Hmm. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that's a really convincing performance. But, um... Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. I sort of... Oh, yeah. So... I was on a point, but now I'm going to move slightly to a different point just really quickly. What is the point of Glinda in this movie? She helps them once. I think it's... In the poppy field, and then I guess she kind of helps at the end. Because without her, Dorothy wouldn't have known she could do the ruby slipper thing, but... I think she she's meant to be the deus ex machina. Like, in every story, there has to be something that, like, is established to be an ally to the main character, and that is also a greater authority on the world they are in. Um, whether that's a mother figure, a father figure in this case, the, the good, you know, in this case, the good witch, um, it has to be something, I guess it just has to be something that establishes that even when push comes to shove, there is still some form of guiding force beyond our own character. Because if we, when the character is established as a, you know, doughy faced, you know, not knowing a whole lot about the world, little girl, we have to know that there's going to be something that's going to keep her going. Cause like, otherwise she is not going to get through this. <laughs> I, I, it makes you wonder where Glinda is throughout the events of return to Oz. Yeah. She is entirely unhelpful and not present at all. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> at no least it even mentions her name. At least in that one, it, that's actually kind of, I actually really like in this one, at least in return to Oz, it kind of um, goes away from that trope, which obviously 
the Wizard of Oz, it's fine that it did it. It was early in the day. There weren't a whole lot of tropes to work with. <laughs> it established a couple tropes, in fact. But um, it kind of turned that on its head in Return to Oz, where given that Dorothy has been there before and she knows the basic layout, she actually becomes her own driving force. She knows she is the of, of her entire group. She is the biggest authority. <laughs> like she can like establish the whole situation. Yeah, I mean, up to a point, she gets after she gets to the Emerald City, everything else that happens is pure luck. Though that is something that I'm curious about because I guess she. So the Doctor's whole purpose in removing Oz from her mind in Return to Oz is that she's having dreams. She's having dreams. It's like that she's like, she isn't doing her work properly. She's like basically, you know, ridden to her bed as a result. Right. So are these dreams in the lo- in the lore her thinking about Oz or are they her physically returning to Oz? Because there's a fair amount of information she shares with Belina and the audience in the movie that is not explored in the first film. So by all accounts, she shouldn't know about it. But she does. So is she revisiting uh, revisiting Oz in these dream sequences? I don't. And therefore learning more about it. She knows about the desert. She knows about lunch pail trees. I think that might just be like so, that moment where it differentiates where it's more just try- that these are just details that are more related to the book than anything that if the original film had gone more on the book, we would have seen her learning about these details. I think, okay. I think that really is just where the separation is. I think it just, yeah, it's, it, it's not great storytelling. That's one of the main reasons I'm not a huge fan of return to Oz. Cause it really just doesn't properly establish all of these facts that are, otherwise very established in the original book but not in the original movie that everyone is going to know versus the books so i think it really is just kind of lazy writing okay yeah uh which like you know every now and again that's you know that really is the purpose of things that's my that's one of my biggest pet peeves when people break down an analysis and are like oh this thing was done deliberately it's like no sometimes things can be done badly <laughs> sometimes things just kind of happen it's like you know that um you know that famous painting of it's like a like some dark night and it's in the 1950s it's um it's just of a diner of these a couple of oh, people yeah, sitting yeah. in a diner and the painting there's has no there's no door and they actually interviewed the artist and he was like what was the significance behind him having no door and he looks at the picture that they have and he goes god damn it man you did it again <laughs> Yeah. He literally says that to the interviewer. It's like I didn't even realize it. <laughs> it's like I remember I remember hearing that. It's 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 stuff like that. It's like every now and again it's like, yeah, it's okay if it's just like, you know, just you know, someone just didn't do it well. Yeah, yeah. I I'm looking too much into the lore. I'm trying to put these together, man. Yeah. Doing some detective work. <laughs> but uh I don't know where I don't know how much else you have for it, but I do have one more thing I want to put uh, put out there. Uh, you, sort you of praising, ahead. sort of uh, the compare and contrast. I want to praise The Wizard of Oz for set designs because I I like the sets Oh yeah, a lot more than I do in Return to Oz. Sometimes I think they feel clunky or they're just green screen, which uh, I love puppets. I love stop motion. I hate green screen and I've <laughs> always hated it. I never have thought that it looks any good. Mm-hmm. Um but the set designs in The Wizard of Oz are wonderful. They There's so many of them. You can just imagine 
mm-hmm. like all of these different set pieces they had to create for these different environments that are like Munchkin Land has so many different parts to it. It's not like one scene where she exits the house. There's stairs. There's the town hall. There's the center of the plaza mm-hmm. with the where the yellow brick road and the red brick road starts. There's like a river with a bridge. There's there's a lot to it, and that's just one area that she visits. And I think The Wizard of Oz really is, like I said, it's like even establishes a few tropes. I think this movie really is the establishing movie for this, like the whole the the um, story style of the a man takes a trip where we go to like a different land, like some into a fantasy where it really does give us a complete slice of life. Like, you know, it's a small world after all style, um, like fully realized um, set versus a lot of things like even like with return to odds where it's more just kind of be meant to be a medium by which we continue. It really does have a like so much pride in how everything looks like the Emerald city looks stunning. The poppy field, even, even like with Munchenland, I even originally, when I was first watching it, I paused it and was like, okay, I want to look at this thing at this set. And I want to look at it both how it looks as it is. And then comparing it to like modern day. And I looked at it and I could, it actually took me a little while to notice where the, um, the clearly painted, backdrop board was where it was just like oh you know this is just the landscape but it's clearly just you know it just stops at a painted wall but it actually took me a second because all of it was so well realized together i was like oh yeah this is actually incredibly well done and it stands up so well and i was even thinking about it before um you know we talked about how like how you know return oz is very scary and I, to this day, the main reason I'm afraid of tornadoes, I'm not from a tornado-ridden area originally where, from where I was born, but the main reason I'm afraid of tornadoes is the opening scene with the twister in Kansas, where it just straight up shows film of a twister in the background. It looks incredible, and it's terrifying. And it's just like, yeah. how did the, I don't even know how they did that, actually. <laughs> like It literally does just look like an actual twister in the background. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's only one moment where I I think maybe it could have been done a little better, the blending of the painted backdrop to the rest of the scenery, mm-hmm. and that's when she comes to the split in the yellow brick road and she meets the scarecrow. Oh right. I think that the the backdrop is re- or the painted wall is very easy to see. Yeah, but that one. Was the rest of the time, weird. I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, it's like the rest of the time, it really just does blend right into everything. It was just like, all right, I'm good to go. <laughs> this is right. where we are, and it's just. And, you know, Return to Oz was much more expansive. Like, the fact that they were able to actually, like, film out in the woods and not just on a closed set and that sort of thing. But as a result, it just kind of felt pretty bland. Like, a lot of the, you know, just, like, the main locations we are in are the brief time in the desert, the woods leading to uh, leading to the Emerald City, the ruined Emerald City, and then a mountain. It's, like, it's pretty much just in order sand trees rocks natural rocks <laughs> right and then like obviously that, we're back in the emerald city at the very end but yeah it's all repaired at that point which silver silver and green go together very nicely oh yeah it's beautiful i don't think that's a a color combination that's well utilized too often i guess saint patrick's day that's more green but i have seen green and silver stuff on saint patrick's day but right right I'm a fan. I like it. Yeah. 
Very nice. Uh, and I mean, the inside of the Gnome King's fortress, I think, looks great. Oh yeah, uh, especially, yeah, especially that, and just all and I just f- all the claymation and the animation behind the Gnome King and like his little minions and stuff is just like beautiful. Oh yeah, I I outside of the Gnome King being a comparison to the Doctor, mm-hmm. I I kind of I understand the more human part, but. I wish he hadn't been played by a real actor near the end. Like I said, I get the point that it's going for, but I was a really big fan of stop motion Gnome King. Right. And everything that he stood for. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Especially the scene where he falls apart because he ate uh, an egg, which is poison, I guess. I, 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 I fail to see where any kind of analog can come in there, so. If we it... could probably think, we could probably get it if we just thought about it for an hour but we don't got that kind of time is it the comparison of this of a scientist to pastoral life eh. <laughs> <laughs> is it because he's an egg is, is that another life death a- analog that egg is like new life <laughs> is it you know and that brings him down is it that the only thing that can truly de- destroy modern mechanization is the return to one's roots as a farm as a farming co- community that we once were which came first, the chicken or the egg? The Gnome King just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> oh, well. We could go for hours. It's like the fucking question is, how is a raven like a writing desk? It's like there's no actual answer. It's just meant to fucking confuse you. I think he just made up an answer at one point, didn't he? I mean, pretty much. But it also made no sense. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's all I have. Is there anywhere else that you want to go from here? Not terribly. I mean, just the, like, just some basic stuff. It's like, for as much praise as I give, um, Return to Oz, I think the characters are just a bit more vibrant and more fun to hang out with, or like, or like, as we hang out with over the course of the film in Wizard of Oz. They feel like real, it's, it's a classic comparison of older films to me. It seems like we're watching real people interact versus, you know, in with the with the downside of, in a lot of ways they can kind of blend together a bit, with versus um, Return to Oz and more modern films we have a much more intimate look at them and so we establish our knowledge of them really quickly but they don't actually seem terribly real as a result, but you know it's each of the trade off. Yeah, that's the unfortunate nature of being able to view things closer yeah but it's like you know uh, can't hardly complain too much though uh before i guess we talk about our huge likes and dislikes i guess yeah uh i just have a few other tiny things that i want to point out maybe just get off my chest yeah go ahead uh (laughs) so night on bald mountain i don't know if you picked it up uh in wizard of oz it's sampled as as the trio is running up the stairs oh. in the witch's castle to save her, yeah, I like pick that out immediately. It's something like older brain watching it, and I know what Night on Bald Mountain sounds like. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of classical music is sampled in the movie, just in tiny bits. But I know it so much for its songs. <laughs> it's like, oh well, The Wizard of Oz is all original music, so I heard that and I had to do a double take. That was strange. Yeah. Uh, and for Return to Oz, I think it's strange that in the Emerald City, I don't know if you noticed in the crowd scenes where, like, the Scarecrow's talking or she frees Ozma, 
there's all of these people in elegant gowns and suits, but in the background there's a frog with, like, a bipedal frog with glasses. And I don't know what that was about. He kept showing up just in the far back of the crowd, like this huge puppet that's only used there and never anywhere else. And he's the only non-human in the crowd. What is that? That seems like... It seems like maybe they just, like, had that puppet laying around, and they're like, you know, let's just throw him in there. (laughs) Maybe there was a big glasses-wearing frog narrative that got cut. I mean, that sounds like a character from, like, another story. I couldn't tell you what, but it sounds like it. Well, I'm sure that's going to keep me awake at night. Yeah. (laughs) But beyond that, I don't think there's any particular reason other than screw it. (laughs) It's weird. It's Oz. We can do that. We can do whatever we want in the merry old land of Oz. So, uh, leaving off here, favorite shot from either movie? Favorite shot, favorite scene? Uh, from Wizard of Oz, uh, probably it got to be the original shot where it goes from sepia tone to color tone. Like even, like even when I first saw that when I was a little kid, and like I had seen like shit like Toy Story and everything where things were incredibly vibrant when I first saw that I was like oh shit that's cool <laughs> like that's it's a classic and it's good it's I'm totally down for that just because as it as it's also so well establishes the change of tone and everything how much is it conveyed just with that alone and I could think of so many commercials that use that shot as like the opening yep to talk about Wizard of Oz on DVD or exactly whatever. um and then for Return to Oz, it's my favorite shot. Definitely, I even thought about this specifically when I saw it. It's the scene where she steals the life powder and is running out of the room with all the um, with all of Mombi's heads. And it's just it's her running by with all the mirrors and all the heads like staring out at her screaming. I'm like, this is crazy, and I have not seen a film do this <laughs> at least not this well. And I think this is one of the coolest shots i've ever seen it's just it's balls to the wall and it's just like no this is just crazy that is awesome and scary yeah uh uh, for the wizard of oz for me it's definitely even though from like a, a standpoint now you can see the seams so to speak i i like the scene where the the witch is commanding all of her flying monkeys to fly and she's like leaning out the window throwing her hand everywhere i love that that's Mm -hmm. great another Um, classic scene and in return to oz it's everything in in the end scene after the gnome king eats the egg it's him falling apart with fire spouting in the background and all of his minions that are like they're they're constructs made of the stone like poking out of the walls and they're all shrinking back in terror like moaning and like reforming into the wall everything about that i loved oh yeah it's just yeah it it it, it, it's really it was really cool just seeing how that entire mountain was just alive with these things oh yeah that the minion like constantly throughout is spying on them like forming into rocks in the environment Mm -hmm. that's a really neat like concept for having a spy Mm -hmm. it's like literally everywhere there's a stone the earth is the spy yeah it's like holy shit (laughs) take that Uh, how's that conspiracy theorist (laughs) so what's your favorite and what's your reasoning uh over the course of talking about this i i keep kept going back and forth it's it's hard to say that 
it's 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 hard to say like either one is my like it, like ever i will have a definitive favorite don't get me wrong um but i'm just saying it's like <laughs> it's hard to say either one is my favorite because it just kind of feels like i'm just it's it makes me think of the things that it shouldn't be my favorite for like for return to oz it's like it's not terribly vibrant but it's still cooler in my mind and then but versus i give it to wizard of oz it's like well it's you know it's a classic everyone's gonna say that that sort of thing and so i just kind of go back and forth in my head but i i got it like at the end of the day i always say it's like which one do i think is just the better made film and or at the very least which one am i going to think about more and that's got to be return to oz it's just there's so much going on with it that i think just isn't it's very underrated for it. I mean, heck, we we went down a you know we opened up a can of worms with you know all the various analogs we were finding, and just that alone establishes yeah it, a good movie should have you thinking about it continuously. Whereas I watch Wizard of Oz and it's like yeah I know this story. I was barely I was already done thinking about it before the credits came up. It was like I know this movie. It's hard to kind of deviate from it. There's not a whole lot going on beyond. What is an admittedly good story, but it's not a terribly deep story. It's like that's not, I know not every story needs to have that, but for me, it's it's just uh, compared to the two. If I saw Wizard of Oz on TV, I probably wouldn't flip to it just as myself. But if I saw Return to Oz, I'd probably be like, yeah, I want to go back to see that. I like, you know, I like watching how the puppetry works. I like just the scene with all the wheelers, how crazy they are, and all those sort of things. It's like I like just watching all these just like individual little elements for even if they're not as vibrant or as on the surface enjoyable. It's just, they're, I just think they're very interesting. Right. Right. I, I gotta say hearing you talk about both movies as we were discussing it, I'm actually kind of surprised with your final choice. Really? Just, uh, well, I, I really like return to Oz. I just, uh, figured the way you were talking about, you know, the writing's not always good. The character's, yeah, I mean, like, like the getting close to the characters, but it's yeah, it's not to it's like not to say that this is a flawless movie by any stretch, and you know, oh, definitely not, and and so many of my movies aren't, like my favorite movies aren't, and it's just it's it's just, it's the, the thought process that though a lot of the writing and some of the elements are bad, it's at least establishes that someone took the risk to try them, versus Wizard of Oz, it kind of just does its one thing and then we're good. So it's just, it's, the, it's the fact that I, you know, it, it's like we can either watch a train going into the station or I can watch a train wreck. It's like, eh. <laughs> am I a bad person for watching a train wreck? Probably. Will people think less of me for it? Definitely. It's still interesting. <laughs> you got to tell me where you get your analogies because I want to go uh, shop there sometime. Uh, it's, uh. <laughs> you know, it's a lack of therapy and a weird head, man. <laughs> But I I definitely do not disagree with you, and I'm glad you brought that up, the the internal monologue, because sometimes I see a really popular movie, like The Wizard of Oz, and we're discussing it, and it's like, that is such a classic, like, is going with that the right move, or will it just be going with it because other people like it? Right. And it is like the movie, but especially in this instance... I think that I am of complete sound mind and body in saying that I prefer Return to Oz really? over Wizard of Oz. Hmm. Well, of course, me definitely. But I, I mean, there's a ton of reasons that I do. Well, yes. 
I mean, I'm a horror movie fan. It's not a horror movie, but I definitely prefer the dark and the creepy and the scary mm-hmm. uh, set pieces and designs and just characters in general. I have always been a huge fan, and I've been very outspoken about it on this very show, of uh, puppets and puppetry. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love puppets and puppetry. Uh, stop motion is great. Mm-hmm. And... I think we've talked about this on numerous occasions, but uh, however you go about deciding your films, which is usually, I think usually your metric for deciding it is would you would you pass it if you were flipping through the TV and it came on? Pretty, uh, pretty much. And I have a hard time looking to the future. I always focus on the now, and it's like, well, what did I, it's not even what did I think was a better film, because overall I think The Wizard of Oz is, is a better film. I think it's better made. Uh, it doesn't, like, the green screen really does take Return to Oz down a few notches for me. The Wizard of Oz, like, does what it does within its means. Right. And and does it very well. Uh, but I had more fun watching Return to Oz. I was more invested in it. And it's not even, like, well, it was a new movie. I didn't know the premise. I'd seen both of these before just a long time ago. And perhaps The Wizard of Oz is so renowned and revered, and it's so in the consciousness of us as a culture Mm -hmm. everyone knows it and maybe that does hinder it a little bit just in that we all know the story that's being told but i i'm 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 confident in my choice and that i i i just enjoy overall the narrative that return to oz is telling and the way that it chooses to tell it yeah it's it it, yeah i don't really know how to answer it beyond that i i fully agree with what you're saying that's I mean that's great it's a great movie so yeah it's horribly underrated and I'm I'm so sorry that that director you know got such a bad rap with it everyone go out and watch it immediately it deserves to be a cult classic it deserves to be seen and Disney live action stuff like gets a lot of bad raps like pre a lot of bad rap pre like Pirates of the Carrot, not even pre-Pirates, like pre-Mighty Ducks, like a lot of that gets a bad rap, but mm-hmm. this is a good one. Yes. This is worth uh, it. This is worth your time, if only for the, you know, if only for the talking points alone. So, uh, with all of that said, I guess, just um, kind of just, <laughs> I'll just go through the things real quick. <laughs> yeah, just uh, read through the socials. Yep, you can go through uh, theyremadeit.com. That's an archive of all the episodes you can find there. It also shows you all the different podcast platforms that we're on. iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Podbay, Spreaker, I think, still, but I haven't been talking to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on break. Yeah. Uh, you can email us at theyremadeit at gmail.com. Anything would be appreciated there. Uh, As always, we just, love any kind of comments. Oh yeah, comments, thoughts about the future, anything like that. Uh, Please review us and rate us on iTunes.com. It'll help the metrics. Leave a review. We'd like to hear from you. I I personally would love to hear hear from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's about it. That's our our usual deal. Oh, it remade on Twitter. I forgot. The twit. The Twitter. I'm a twit. Alright, so. How dare you. <laughs> uh, this is this is a fun one. I li- I liked this one. <laughs>
Me too. I, I can't wait to see where we go from here in the future, <laughs> what else we are going to tackle, because I, I keep being pleasantly surprised on these. Yeah. I mean, except for last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't talk. <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. Whatever. We don't talk about. <laughs> Time means nothing when we talk about that crap. <laughs> As always, then, I am your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And we hope you guys have a lovely evening. Go watch that movie. It's awesome. Goodbye. alive but i'm gone in there there's only one thing i want you fellas to do what's What's that that? talk me out of it